We're not going to do the intro. We're just going to get right to it. The Clippers season ended last night, the 2022-23 season. And here we are again, me making my third video after a season, summarizing it. I just want to say for those that don't know me, this was my 18th season as a Clipper fan. If you want to know why I'm a Clipper fan, there's a video of that on the channel. You can go to the popular uploads. But the point is, I live and breathe this shit. I've born and raised in L.A., go to 10-plus games a year. As of 2014, I started going to every single playoff game. Since I graduated college in 2020 and came back, I started my own platform. This was season three of Dime Dropper. This year, I got to uh, have the amazing opportunity to be the host of Locked On Clippers, and I continue to be the host. So now I'm you know, as involved with the team as ever before. Uh, I had so many people come in to tell me about certain things this year. And so long story short, short I had more of a magnifying glass with the Clippers than I've ever had in my life. For those that are not Clipper fans, I want to just tell you how this season went from my lens, covering the whole thing. Now, in my opinion, this was the most disappointing season in Clipper franchise history, and I'll tell you why. I've been a fan for teams that were 19 and 63 in 09. I was a fan of a 23 and 59 team in 2008 and 2010. We missed the playoffs five straight years, empty seats, and absolutely no relevance compared to now. This season was different because now this was year four of the 213 era, the Kawhi and Paul George era. You have both of them healthy, you have the supporting cast. You have Ty Lue, who has not lost a playoff series with a healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And still I'm saying that same thing. But I came into the season with optimism again. You know, last season what was so fun was that we didn't expect anything with Kawhi out. So the team to win 42 games, especially with Paul George missing 51 of them, we were so ecstatic, we were so satisfied with how the team competed. So this year, having everyone back, you know, I was being optimistic. I tried again being optimistic, and I was telling everybody, and I was wor worrying myself that if I came out and was super optimistic, that I would be let down like I always am. And that's exactly what happened again. Before the season, Paul George came out and said how locked in he was, how the whole team knew the goal, the task at hand, and I actually believed them. Shame on me for actually believing them. That finally, they would come out with the right attitude, hit the ground running, and show that this was a year they could win 55 to 60 games, put it all together in the playoffs, stay healthy, and go all the way. Well, let me just summarize some events that happened right off the bat. We didn't have a backup center. The reason why we did that is because we wanted to lean into Ty Lue's small ball convictions and lineups that he has used in previous playoffs and years that have had a lot of success. So we didn't sign a backup center. The only one we had was Moses Brown. So in the beginning of the season, you saw him play three guard lineups because we brought in John Wall. So now, even though we have Norman Powell and Luke Kennard as our two bench guards, now we have a log jam at guard. So bringing in John Wall and letting go of Isaiah Hartenstein, it created a problem. It created the too much depth issue. And if there's one thing we learned about the Clippers this season is that too much depth is a thing in basketball. I've seen it now two times in cities that I've lived in. 2019, when I was living in Massachusetts, I saw it with Boston and I saw it this year. Too much depth is not a problem unless the coach knows who to play. And Ty Lue totally shit the bed this year with his decisions. And I'm a guy who has defended and advocated for Ty Lue 
for two seasons with very, very, like I've been his biggest fan, but he shot the bed. He had lineups out there in the beginning of the season with John Wall, Norman Powell, and Luke Kennard all out there with small ball Robert Covington at the five. So you have three average at best defenders that's being generous. They get blown by, and who's your second line of protection at the rim? Covington and Nico Batum. We were screwed playing lineups like that. If you wanted to go small, you got to play three or four wings. But since Kawhi Leonard was out in the beginning of the season with a setback to his ACL injury, we could not do that. Not to mention that Paul George, the whole talk about him being locked in in the beginning of the season, he was bullshitting completely. Some games he's great. Some games he doesn't even take 20-plus shots. Some games he doesn't go to the basket. Some games he plays like a guy that has no business having the reputation that he does. And then other games he plays like a beast. Mix that all together with Kawhi's setback, which we were told was just day-to-day. We weren't told that he had a setback and he was going to be out for multiple weeks. They listed him as day-to-day. And we had a very easy schedule in the beginning. And we didn't take advantage of it. And I knew right then and there where our problems were. We had two back-to-back games against OKC. Now, looking back at it, OKC ended up being a better team than we believed. But there's no reason why we should have lost both those games. There's no reason why we should have been 5-5 five and five to start the season. We had an easy schedule, and we came out and said it's just the beginning. That's not what a championship team does. You know, eventually we do get Paul George and Kawhi back. They get hurt at the same homestand. Paul George with a hamstring injury. Kawhi Leonard with an ankle injury. And then we had both of them out at the same time. In all this time... We have Ty Lue overplaying two players that were completely cooked. Two fan favorites, Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris. Now, long story short, the reason why these guys were overplayed and should not have been playing is because when they were not making shots, they were not contributing and finding ways to impact the game elsewhere. And those kind of players are not great in the playoffs. When you cannot contribute when you're not making shots, you have limitations. Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson were able to fuck up game after game and shoot poorly and not play a lick of defense, and they still get to play and close out every game, but Terrence Mann, who was our savior in game six, who has worked his ass off every single game he plays for this fucking team, has to sit on the bench and watch them fuck up! And then Robert Covington, who we signed to an $11 million per year contract, who shot 40% from three last year when we got him, has to sit on the bench and ride pine for these guys. All season long, we're wondering, when are these guys going to play? When are these guys going to play? Why are we playing such small lineups? Why are we playing three guard lineups and getting crushed? And the craziest part is, because Ivica Zubats had such a good start to the season, our defensive numbers were actually fool's gold looking decent. Offensively, we had poor numbers. I wonder why. Maybe because our two stars aren't fucking playing. These guard lineups are not going to save that, giving Reggie Jackson more pick and roll reps. If anything, the only way we could have saved things is by playing good defense and translating that into offense and pushing the pace a little bit with younger players like Terrence Mann or better athletes like Robert Covington. But the fact of the matter is, the Clippers were old and slow. And Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson contribute to that. What's Reggie Jackson doing now? He's not even playing for that Denver team. All love to Reggie Jackson. All love. But you put him, Ty Lue, in positions to fail. You put Marcus Morris in positions to get slandered on by fans because you made him sit out there and rot on the floor. There's one thing to keep confidence in a player. There's another thing to know that he's cooked and just keep leaving him out there to suffer and suck. 
and then feel the abuse from everybody else because Marcus doesn't deserve that. Anyway, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard come back in, in early December. It took them time to get back going, but at one point of the season after beating Toronto, we were 21-15. and 15. It looked like things were starting to go well, and then our flaws with Ty Lue and, and overplaying certain guys were starting to come to the forefront because when you have Kawhi Leonard on his load management you know, kind of schedule, you don't have him playing back-to-backs. So that makes every other game feel that much bigger. So when we lose to Indiana by two points, when we lose to Boston by five points, and Reggie Jackson's playing in the fourth quarter instead of Terrence Mann, who's, you know, not a lockdown defender, but one of our best point-of-attack defenders, and you need point-of-attack defense in this league. Now you're wondering, what about Kawhi and Paul? They, being with their offensive responsibilities, are not tasked with guarding the best players until like the playoffs they'll switch onto them but teams are smart enough to not want to involve them in the action so you want a guy like Terrence Mann fighting over screens when they try to put zoo in drop coverage or pick put him in the pick and roll etc but you know what I learned this season that Ty Lue has a very offense first lens people were saying he's an idiot he doesn't know what he's doing I disagree Ty Lue is absolutely still a good coach who had a bad season because he was stubborn and he wanted to play his guys. You know, the, the reason why we loved Ty Lue so much the first year was because he was willing to sit everybody and anybody. You know, there was no favorites. There were no favorites. Now there were clearly two favorites and they were holding our team back. Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris. And this came to the forefront when we got blown the fuck out on national television against the Nuggets in front of everyone. And he... Put Kawhi Leonard on the bench with Paul George for the whole second half with a back-to-back the next night. And we're wondering, are they about to sit both of these guys the next night? Because Kawhi Leonard had started to be playing and started to be playing well. Mind you, he had started to show that Kawhi Leonard was still very much Kawhi Leonard on the floor when he's healthy. Paul George was starting to struggle with some kind of knee injury. I don't know when that happened. And so I was saying, you know what? Paul George can sit that game against Minnesota. We sit both and get absolutely fucking creamed. That's a formula to help win champ that's a formula that wins championships. But again, I had to hear all season long from a certain group of people, let's just wait till the all-star break. It's not even the new year. All these excuses that these guys had it all figured out, that these guys knew what they were doing, and they were okay, that they would come out in the playoffs and just turn it on. Listen, 21 and 20 through 41 games, I had serious concerns. Serious concerns. We had more waving of the white flags this season than pulling our starters out to watch our bench warmers play since we're up by 20 or 30 points. We legitimately had way more waving of the white flags. And this is a team that came into the season with championship aspirations, that preached championship aspirations throughout the season, even when things went shitty. We had Kawhi Leonard saying, it's going to be a tunnel, uh, for dark tunnel for a while, but at the end it's going to be filled with light and joy. Where the fuck is the light and joy? The only light is from my fucking window right now. Nicholas Batum, don't expect anything till Christmas. What the fuck do you guys think this is? What the fuck do you think this is? You think we could just wait and watch you bullshit? While we spend our hard-earned money and you guys get paid? Even if you lose? You know, Bill Russell once had a quote, You get paid to win. You don't get paid to play. Well, now... You get paid to rest. You don't even get paid to play. Loser ass shit. But then finally, finally we make a change. Terrence Mann inserted into the starting lineup. The front office, I heard from multiple people, 
pushed and forced Terrence Mann to start. Ty Lue did not want him to start. He had his convictions of offense first. And guess what? When a coach gets overstepped by a front office person and what to do with his on-court basketball decisions, we're going to have problems. And ultimately, I would usually side with the coach because it's his job to put the product on the floor and it's not the front office's job to interfere. But when it comes to Terrence Mann starting, it had to be done. And all of a sudden, we started looking like a better team. We rattled off between, you know, before the Westbrook move, 10 out of the last 12 games with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, we had won before getting Russ. Now, I was very happy that the front office made the moves that they did at the deadline to get rid of Reggie Jackson because his attitude completely changed. When he was taken out of the starting lineup, he started pouting and mo- like it just it was not the same Reggie Jackson that we'd grown to love. So you take Reggie Jackson out of the equation, you bring in a younger player in Bones Highland who was awesome, you bring in a backup center in Mason Plumley, you bring back Eric Gordon, and I have my mixed opinions on that move, but it was cool to see him back in a clear uniform nonetheless. Point is, we made some solid moves around the margins, but when Lawrence Frank said that if there's a point guard out there that we were looking at that could have fulfilled our needs that being that he could shoot the ball and not get played off the floor defensively that let me know that he did not want Westbrook when he said that they have to be able to shoot that let me know that he did not want Westbrook but then Paul George and Ty Lue advocated super hard for him Paul George even going into the media and playing you know GM here's the thing I was hesitant to get Westbrook, I'll admit. Why? Because he wasn't playing very good basketball with the Lakers, mainly because he has not won a championship and he has had his propensity to make big mistakes when it counts. And Paul George is also in that same category. And that's part of the reason why, despite the injuries that they had together in Oklahoma, they got upset twice in a row. I consider the Portland series an upset too because I still think they were a better team. But Paul George is playing through injuries, whatever. It doesn't matter. We see those guys, those two guys make the same mistakes even when healthy. Point is, I had my reservations. And also, when you bring in a player like Russell Westbrook midway through the season, you are letting all of us know that you do not think the team is a championship team right now. You have to go out and get help because this season has not gone the way you planned. And then we get Russ. We got to incorporate a new player into the system. Lose the first five games. Then we finally start to put it together. Paul George gets hurt. We get to the playoffs. Kawhi does amazing in the first two games. Russ plays amazing. Kawhi gets hurt again. We again have neither of them. And then we're out in just five games to the Phoenix Suns, who have now beaten us three times in our history. The only team to beat us three times in the playoffs. Do you know how that feels? The Phoenix Suns gave me my first basketball heartbreak in 2006. Again in 2021, they hurt us by preventing us from getting to our first finals because of Kawhi's injury. Now for two straight times they've played us in the playoffs, they have not seen Kawhi Leonard. You can't blame them. You got to play who's in front of you. But it doesn't, make it that, it doesn't make it any less frustrating. Now it's time to really get into things. This year, there were a lot of back and forths on social media throughout the season between fans about the way you fan for this team. I knew in the first week of the season, as I said, that this team wasn't serious. I wanted to see a different approach from this Clipper team, from them coming out, taking the regular season seriously, which they have not done in the last, you know, all these years with Kawhi and Paul George, going out and trying to get 55 to 60 wins, playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George when they could be played, obviously sitting Kawhi on those back-to-backs, and then having the depth to be able to overcome those games. Well, when I saw the way that they played in the first game or first week of the season, and then they came out 
and we're talking about it's early, it, you know, there's so much time left, and all the fans are telling me, calm down, calm down. It's, you know, it's early. It's only the, it's not even the all-star break. It's like, call me, you know, in March. And they were like, well, don't celebrate with us at the parade, you negative Nancys. The only fucking parade you're going to be at is the Thanksgiving Day Parade. This team was not hosting no fucking championship parade. And you know what? When I see you there, it won't be with this team. I promise you that. Listen, y'all think I like saying this stuff about my favorite team? You think I like being negative? It's not fucking negative. It's the truth that I see. You don't like it and you get sensitive because you don't agree. That's the problem. But here's my problem. You can fan however you want. You can be delusionally optimistic. You can be an insanely annoying pessimist that does not be, doesn't ha- isn't happy regardless of what happens. But you should not tell people how to fan about their favorite team. Because ultimately... We all want the same team for them to, thing for them to win. But you, oh no, I got something to say about you people. Because you motherfuckers wanted to vilify me. You wanted to come at me personally. I, had, I lost friendships this year that I thought I had. People trying to, you know, subtweet me. Talk shit about my fucking family. You don't talk shit about my fucking family. You're a loser. Because you don't agree with what one person says about your favorite team. Because you're too fucking butthurt to face the facts. All you guys are too fucking butthurt to face the facts. I'm okay. I'm fine. Because I gave up my expectation in March. Because if I kept believing like you, I would end up angry like I was three years ago. And I'm angry at the whole experience. But I'm going to end this video and move on with my life. Because you know what I'm doing? I'm building my platform. I got people listening to me. I got people that now respect the fucking bullshit that I have to say. And you know what? I couldn't thank them enough. But y'all wanted to come at me and vilify me and act like I'm a fake fan because I don't think that everything the organization does is amazing because I challenge what happens in there. You know why? Because for me, this is not a fucking game. For me, this is a lifelong obsession. For you, it's just, oh, it's fun to watch the Clippers and root for them. And when they lose, oh, so what? I'll go, you know, fuck my wife or something. It's different for me. It's, it's a lifelong obsession. You feel me? I sat in the rows, you know, 318 with my back against the wall, my family, and I've dreamt about doing things in basketball. I played basketball my whole life. I study this game every single era, every single day. I stayed up till 4 fucking a.m. almost every single night producing content for the fans. And you want to tell me how to fan? Fuck you. Fuck you. For real. It's personal now. Don't tell people how to fan. Because I'm not going to tell you how to fan. I'll just tell you you're a fucking delusional idiot. Let me tell you something. You motherfuckers wanted to say, oh, Robert Covington is getting saved for the playoffs. This is not high stakes poker. This is not fucking poker. This is not a magic show. You play your players to get them in rhythm. There was clearly something going on behind the scenes with Roko. And you don't want to admit it. Free Roko, stupid. Forgive players for wanting to see their team succeed. Forgive fans for wanting to see their team succeed. You are pathetic. So that's what I have to say about the fans. You're not going to convince me into coming back next season. Oh, it's going to be fine. Run it back. Run it back. Are you fucking crazy? Are you fucking crazy? You don't, for you, it's just a fun thing. It's a gig. It's whatever. For me, it's a lifelong obsession. You don't understand. We, like, for me, let me just give an example. For hockey, for baseball, I don't criticize the coach. I don't go into all these details because I don't know the game. I don't know the game well enough to do that. With basketball, I live and breathe this shit. You people that think that Ty Lue had a good season, I think this and that, can you even name a pick and roll coverage? Can you name a pick and roll defense? Do you know how to break a zone? You don't know shit. 
And if you want to challenge me to a game, I will play you one-on-one. -on -one. I want all the smoke, bitch. I want all the fucking smoke. Let's see if you can guard me. Let's see if you can stay in front. Bitches, dude. Oh, my God. So let's forget about that part. Okay? Now for the next thing that everybody likes to challenge me on. The, my two least favorite words in the game. Load management. This concept has ruined the NBA regular season. And all the big platforms back it up to the T and say that this is necessary. People need to stop complaining. People are getting too mad at the players. All this shit. But if you listen to me, my criticism is not always with players. Because I don't know what goes in behind the scenes to the decision to sit them out or not when they're healthy. Everyone says, trust the doctors. You're not a doctor. Listen, my parents are in the medical field. But here's the thing. Nobody wants to actually have the load management conversation with me. I make points and then they run away and hide with their tail tucked between their fucking legs. You know why? Because I make points that they can't refute. Do you know why? Because I have studied this concept incessantly for three years because it's ruined my team. It's ruined the league. So let me get some facts for your ass because I, I see people subtweeting my ass. Come at me and at me, bitch. Come the fuck at me. I will have the conversation with you in person or over the phone. I don't give a fuck or on Twitter for everybody to see. I put in too much work with the history of the game to duck your bitch ass. Let's talk about some stats for your ass. So the biggest problem with load management, guys, is that we are not addressing the real issue at hand. The real issue is that players' bodies are cooked before they step foot in the NBA. What does that come down to? Well, now we have the AAU circuit and the youth circuit where guys are playing five games in two days, kids. We also have over-specialization, which means that when a person or a kid gets, see, they see potential in a kid, they make him play that one sport over and over again till all these muscles and joints, the same body parts get used over and over and they're broken down when they enter the NBA. I remember a guy saying Kyrie Irving's body was like a 30, 40 year old vet. Now, my thing is this too. Everybody says the game is so fast, but then I always bring up because I'm a real historian of the game that the pace in the 80s and the 60s and the 70s was as fast, if not faster but nobody combats that point because they don't want to. They can't. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to say. So was Magic and all those guys, were those guys superhumans to play 82 games? Because mind you, we had way less technology. We had way less resources. And they got injured less in worse shoes riding commercial flights. Now, the only argument you can make for the modern athlete, the modern NBA player, is that they have more distance to cover in a half-court set defensively. That is the only thing. But they play less games. They don't practice. That's the biggest thing. Paul George, Spencer Dinwiddie, Steve Kerr, Glenn Rivers. These guys all have made it very clear that teams do not practice the same way full speed to prevent injury. So they're not practicing. They're not playing. And you still think that they should rest games. And you also, this is my biggest problem right here. You also want me to say that these players are the most athletic, the, the most amazing, that this era is the most talented and all this, yet simultaneously make all these excuses that we didn't make in the past. Why should I lower my standard? Why should I lower my standard? I will not let you with your excuses lower my standard. And here's the thing. If you're telling me that these players cannot even attempt to play 82 games because they're for sure going to get hurt, then what does that say about the modern athlete? What does that say about the way we are bringing these guys up? Everybody says better training than the past. Why is everybody getting injured so much more? Well, again, I have done my fucking research. Have you? 
Tim Grover, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's trainer said, at the earliest ages, a child's undeveloped body isn't prepared for the punishing physical demands of intense athletic activity. Kids are designed to be active, to play, to use their entire bodies, not to work on the same move over and over. This belief is confirmed by Timothy McGuin's study on specialization and lower extremity injuries. I also have a mentor that did a book on youth sports. You should go read it. It's called What Size Balls Do I Need? My man, Coach Steve. And he said across the spectrum, it's not just basketball of youth sports. Injuries are on the rise. The Wall Street Journal reported that in 2013, there were three and a half million sports related injuries sustained by kids 18 and under. 13-year-olds are tearing ACLs. 16-year-olds are having Tommy John reconstructive surgery. 2 million of those injuries resulting in 500,000 doctor visits and 30,000 hospitalizations every year. We have lost the plot as a society with the way we are bringing up our athletes. They are cooked. The modern athlete is not as durable. That's the fact. And Tim Grover also said things about having too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, back in the day, you had one trainer. Now you have a muscle activation guy, a massage therapist, all these guys. Sometimes the simplistic way is best. He was talking about guys not lifting enough weights. Now, Lonzo, remember, LaVar Ball said about his son, Lonzo got to get in the weight room. Too much resistance. Now, I'm not saying resistance training is bad, but clearly you need to build the foundation. And if you don't believe me, go listen to Tim Grover talk about it. He's much more scientifically intelligent than I could ever be. But my point is this. We have lowered the standard for the player so much and you want me to make excuses and here's my biggest problem the doctors the clipper medical staff has not proven that they have been able to keep players healthy at all so why should i just believe that they're good at their jobs when they've not shown anything this is a results business this is a results business and the result is that our players constantly are out no matter who's with us Kawhi, blake paul everybody you know chris it doesn't matter. My biggest issue with load management is that it doesn't actually prevent injury like that. All it does is it prevents a certain injury from getting worse so that your career lasts longer. Ultimately, it's only for the players to last longer and make more money. It does not actually help the team win in that season. So at what price are you resting these guys? You're resting these guys at the expense of continuity, at the expense of chemistry, at the, at the expense of building good habits, only for them to still get hurt in the playoffs. Do you know how frustrating it is to know that your team is going to lose a game because you're sitting everybody and then in the playoffs they still get hurt? So what was all that for? I'd rather than just try to play when they can. And if they get hurt, they get hurt. They can't handle it. It's fine. Injuries happen in sports. That's the fucking problem you guys don't get. Injuries always happen in sports. You're just betting on the risk. You're just, oh, it's a 70% chance he's going to get injured or a 30% chance. That's exaggeration on the numbers. But that's all these decisions are. You come back from an injury and now you have to, you know, you're sitting back to backs. Like, listen, do you know how demoralizing it is? When you lose four games in a row with your healthy players and then the fifth one, they have to sit out so you just know you're going to lose again. Do you know how frustrating it is when you build a four-game winning streak but then you know it's going to end because your star players are not going to play the next game? Do you know how hard it is to build good habits this way? This is not a championship formula. And the worst thing that happened was Kawhi winning in Toronto. That's the worst thing that happened. Because now everybody thinks that because he did it then, that this is a strategy that you can use to win championships. And in my opinion, we need to start looking at that uh, season as more of a novelty and a luck, you know, a lucky set of circumstances where somehow his body held up the whole playoffs and the other team's bodies broke down and they won and he was able to play 60 games in the regular season with an established core that had already won together in terms of regular season games year after year. 
The Clippers don't have that, and they also have a second injury-prone star. This is not the way to win a championship. Just because it worked once does not mean it's going to work again, and Kawhi's only aging. The load management shit has ruined the NBA regular season. It has ruined it. And you guys want to keep glorifying these athletes. So what are the athletes in the past? Superhumans? Because maybe you guys don't want to admit that human evolution takes millions of fucking years and that you breathe the same air as your dad. You know why I say that? Because the people act like the athletes in the 80s and 90s were stone age motherfuckers who were different species. They were the same. Okay, their height is the exact same. There was not wingspan statistics back then. The pace of the game was similar. The only thing that has changed is the way the game of basketball is played. The three-point shot, the spacing, all that. We've always had great athletes. We've always had, we had more durable athletes. And we've always had freaks in the league. And there's always been six, seven behemoths league average height. That's a big problem I have. So mainly when I stand up for load management, guys, it's not because I want players to get hurt. It's because I'm standing up for all the players in the past that we did not make all these excuses for, yet we glorify this era and shit on everybody else. That's my issue. I protect, I love the game's history. I love the game. Y'all people only like the modern game. That's a difference between you and me. I actually, you know, I have Bill Russell's daughter following me on Twitter. I have Earl the Pro Monroe following me on Twitter. I have real ass historical people following me on Twitter because I see what goes on and I call it out and people don't want to talk to me about it because they don't want to have the conversations. As I said, this is a lifelong obsession for me. This is not a game. It's ball. It's not just a game for me. Now let's get into the real conversations. So clearly you guys know that I'm saying we can't win this way, right? Role players, we need to get younger. Marcus Morris, he's done. I thank him for everything that he's done. Nicholas Batum, love him absolutely. Only played well in one game of the series. We can decide what we want to do with him. Zubats, bring him back, but he might have to be a backup because in the playoffs, he just shriveled. Bring back Mason Plumley. Obviously, bring back Bones Highland, uh, Terrence Mann, Robert Covington. Eric Gordon has to go, obviously. He's on an expiring contract. But no, And Norman Powell was awesome this season. I would love to have him back. I really like the guy. He's a really good guy, too. Um, but let's talk about the real final ones to get to. The ownership in the front office. Look, Steve Ballmer, if he wants to see this franchise succeed, he's going to have to make real decisions. He has empowered some of the wrong people and he's put his trust in some of the wrong guys. Ty Lu, look, I thank him so much for everything he did in 2021. He said after the game, uh, game five, that he plans on coming back. Now, based on the whole rift between Ty Lue and Lawrence Frank and, and what's gone on this season behind the scenes, I don't know what's going to happen. There's been rumors that he'd walk away. You know, Ty Lue was dealing with a lot of shit this season, a lot of family losses. So I really sympathize with him, and I appreciate all the things that he's done for this team. But I, I honestly don't want him back because he showed to be too stubborn. He kind of became Glenn in ways with his stubbornness. And I just, the reason why I don't want him back is not because I don't think he's a good coach, but I fundamentally disagree with his basketball philosophy. I mean, I coach the youth level, obviously not the same as NBA, duh, but I'm a defense first guy. I like defensive-minded lineups, defensive-minded players. He doesn't. He likes playmakers. He likes point guards. And I think that the game has changed. It's a wings league, and he has, you know, a, a, a guard fetish. And I, I don't want a coach with a guard fetish to be coaching a team with wings and a team in the modern NBA to win a championship. So I don't want Ty Lue back, but it's nothing personal. If he's back, I'll still back him all the way, and I have respect for him. But after this season and what he was doing, it's just kind of inexcusable. The way Rocco was treated, the way Terrence was treated. And by the way, you know, I, I heard from multiple people that Terrence Mann was unhappy with his minutes. And you could see when a fan posted a video on Twitter of him saying, I'm so happy they got you in the starting lineup, he shook his head. 
that told you all you needed to know. And by the way, I'm very aware of the Twitter thread that was posted last night um, revealing a lot of things. Now, let me just tell you this about it. I wouldn't take every single thing to the bank, but that guy, I met him. He was working for the team this year. Okay, and he was telling me a lot of things throughout the season that I talked about on Locked On Clippers, that I talked about on here, that other people were saying as well, other people within the actual beat were agreeing with. So there's probably more validity to that than you think. So, and then the final guys, Paul George. I really like Paul George. Um, I obviously said a lot of choice words about him a couple years ago after the bubble collapse. Um, he gave me one of the best memories of my life in 2021, leading this team to the conference finals for the first time ever. Um, he reps Clippers wherever he goes. He addresses the fans. You know, I've shook his hand. He's thanked me before for saying good luck. Like these little things, you know, they matter. You know, seeing this guy in person and when he's going, when he's got it on, he's the most fun Clipper to watch that I think we've ever had in terms of like just the aesthetic ability of his scoring. But there's a serious problem with Paul George besides his injury uh, health. And by the way, that was so unfortunate. I knew when he hurt his leg against the Thunder that we were pretty much done our championship hopes. Even though I had already ruled out our championship hopes in a game against the Warriors in March. Because um, we weren't going to get a top three seed. And I kept saying, you need a top three seed to win a chip. You need it. Because if you don't get it, it shows that you have not had a great season. It shows that you have not maybe had the chemistry or the health to get there. You can't just turn it on. You can only turn it on if you're a championship team, a battle-tested team. We are not that. And that goes to show the arrogance of this Clipper team from the players to the coaching staff to the management. They thought they could waltz into the playoffs and as long as they're healthy, we're going to just run everybody out the gym. You guys are fucking delusional. You can't cheat the game. And that's consistently what you're getting from the Clippers. You cannot cheat the game. You have to be, you know, like the way the Celtics approach the season, coming out, hitting the ground, running. You have to take the regular season seriously. This whole idea that the regular season does not count is total bullshit. It's where you build habits. Paul George, by the way, on the whole load management front, Paul George came out and said, we are not playing enough. We're not practicing enough. So he is contradicting everything. Now, I don't 100% believe that, you know, about Paul George, uh, about playing more. Uh, decreases injury, but I do think there's a level of validity to a body in motion stays in motion, and you guys think that, oh, the doctors are all right. I wouldn't question that, but you don't also question an NBA player's opinion, do you, huh? So who are you questioning and who are you agreeing with or disagreeing with? If you think that Paul George isn't a doctor so he can't talk about it, then fine. At least you're being consistent. But y'all want to pick and choose who you listen to? All you want to do is not listen to people like me, a fan with an opinion that doesn't align with yours. That's the problem. And all you guys want to say, what does complaining do? Uh, first of all, Stan Van Gundy, the load management tweet I posted about Paul George, the quote I posted, it got thousands of likes, thousands of views. Somebody tagged Stan Van Gundy in the thread, and that very night, Stan Van Gundy took the quote that I put on there and quoted it verbatim on a live national broadcast. I know it was my tweet because I switched up the wording and took out a couple sentences to put the right quotes next to each other, and he worded it verbatim. That's when I know I am making a difference. Brevin Knight quote tweeted me on that. He works for the Grizzlies as a color commentator. So when you say I have no voice, you're not going to make a difference. My teachers tried to silence me all my life and tell me I wouldn't be shit. And you're no fucking different. And you ain't going to stop me from saying anything. Because I know my voice is growing. All you can do is block me and close your fucking ears. 
I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep complaining. I'm going to keep bitching. I'm going to keep expressing myself about the team. Because you know what? It's the only way I can cope with this bullshit by relating to the fans and talking to them and having honest conversations about the team that we love. You guys want to fan differently? Go ahead. But don't tell me that nothing changes, nothing matters. You have no voice. I'm going to keep being fucking loud and there's nothing you can fucking do about it, asshole. That's to you. If you think I'm talking about you, maybe I am talking about you. But Paul George... He's not serious, in my opinion. You know, for him to come out two years ago and say, I'm not getting enough touches on the ball, and then this year he said, I'm on the ball too much, I want Westbrook, he ducks responsibility. No guy that says, like, oh, I'm a two-way player, all this, has as many games defensively where he lapses in concentration, falls asleep, you know, is going through the motions, games where he settles for jumper after jumper, not attacking the basket, games that he, you know, he catches the ball at the mid post and he literally puts on a clinic and he wants to dance at the top of the key over and over and overcomplicate his game. Then there's other games where we don't have Kawhi and he won't even shoot 20 shots. I love Paul George, but I have serious doubts about him winning a championship, even if healthy. Now, I love him so much that I'd be down a roll with him again, but if it were up to me, I think we got to trade him because he's too injury prone. And even when he's healthy, I don't know about him. But the thing is, I love the guy because I know he cares. As far as Kawhi Leonard, this is probably the part of the video that I'm going to get the most heat for. Um, I'm probably going to lose a lot of fans and subscribers through this. I don't care. I've tried really hard to love this guy, to embrace him. He's one of our own, like Blake Griffin, like Chris Paul, and even like Paul George. The first season, he was amazing in the regular season, and then he choked in the bubble. And I, I famously called him Kawit Leonard because I thought that he you know, rolled over and died and didn't really want to be there anymore in the bubble. He came back the next year, and all his stands, who I fucking hate, by the way. I think Kawhi stands are terrible. They're, they're the biggest excuse-making losers in the world. I mean, all stands really suck for the most part, but his are really, really annoying. Almost as bad as LeBron's. But the next year, they started out the season not load-managing him to prove a point that we're not going to do the preferential treatment anymore. We're going to treat you like everybody else. His body couldn't hold up. He didn't play well in the second games of back-to-backs a lot of the times, and... At the end of the season, his knee flared up, and we sat him out like 10 straight games. So this whole that he didn't load manage in second year, it was like about 30 games it lasted, and then he went back to getting load managed again. So let's not lie about Kawhi. And then, so we load managed him only for him to get hurt in the playoffs because, again, you can't predict injuries. We missed the whole 2022 season, and this year I was so excited to have him back. But the moral of the story is this. The guy can't stay healthy, and I do feel sorry for him. I really do. But this is the third time in a row that the team has led the fans on about his injury. Actually, the fourth. The first time was when he tore his ACL initially. They called it a sprain. They wouldn't come out and say what it was. In my opinion, it's just to keep the fans emotionally invested to buy tickets. Nothing to do with anything else. The, you know, some of the, up the optimistic crowd, the shut up and cheer crowd tries to say, oh, he's doing it to, you know, they don't want to let uh, the other team know what's happening. This, again, this is not high-stakes poker. There's so many people on the coaching staff. They have a game plan with and without Kawhi. They're prepared. So that whole shit is, is garbage. They're doing it so they steal your money. Or should I, I shouldn't say steal. Get your money and keep you emotionally invested. Last year, they were bluffing that he could come back in the playoffs if we made it. He was nowhere close to returning. That was a total bluff. I know Kawhi said, oh, I would have probably played in the finals. Bullshit, dude. You don't play when you're 90%. Bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So don't give me that nonsense. And then this year, just now, oh yeah, earlier this year, when he had his flare-up, they just listed him as day-to-day. 
I hope all these coaching staffs and organizations and medical staffs know that when you list your players as day-to-day and you list them as just soreness instead of an actual injury, you make them look soft. You make the fans question how hurt they really are when you list them as soreness or day-to-day. If you had just told us, you know, like things used to be, that, oh, Kawhi Leonard had a setback. He is going to be out for two weeks and then he'll be reevaluated. None of us would complain. But fans or other fans want to say, why does it help the team for you to know what's going on? So why does it help the team for, for you to be honest with your fucking fans, to not lie to them? The only, nowadays, this is what I can't fucking stand, is that the fans don't matter. The fans don't matter. They don't deserve to know shit. They deserve to just shut up and cheer and buy tickets and root for whoever's there. I will root for whoever's there no matter what. But the fans have a right to know, especially when people care this much. If you have a problem with people that care so much, that's fine. But leave that to them to figure out how to care less. Because that's one thing I've learned is to care less. I seem like I'm getting angry right now. This is just me expressing all my emotions I've held on to, all my frustration throughout the whole year. But after this, I'm fine. You know, I'm used to it with the Clippers at this point. I'm numb. But saying that why should fans be in the know? Why should fans know about the injuries? Dude, since when do we not know shit? There was one time with Chris Kamen in the 2000s, like late 2000s that we had that incident. But... This, this mysteriousness with Kawhi, you know, him coming out at halftime of a Memphis game, him not playing in the back-to-back against Minnesota when we need a win, him randomly disappearing against New Orleans. They said his face was hurt, but he had no mask the next game. The Memphis one, leaving the game at halftime and not playing for the rest of the game is ludicrous. I have never heard that. That's not basketball. You can't cheat the game. You cannot cheat the game. What about the minutes restriction when Paul George randomly was injured during the All-Star break? You sit him to Salt Lake, we come back in a must-win game against Sacramento, and you're sitting our second-best player in overtime, even though you played him over 40 minutes. Who's running the asylum? What the fuck is going on there? The medical staff seem to be on a totally different page than Ty Lue. Why is Ty Lue angry in the middle of the Memphis, after the Memphis game, saying we did not know Kawhi Leonard was coming out? Now, I know there was a thread posted on Twitter, and I, as I already alluded to it, and one of the things said in that thread, and I have been keeping this secret for a while because I have not heard secondary confirmation on it, that Kawhi Leonard literally just pulled himself out of the game and said, I'll play tomorrow, I'm not going to play the rest of this game, or his medical staff did, his personal team, Uncle Dennis and them, the same guys that everybody warned me about coming from San Antonio. Well, let me ask you this for all the people that want Jason Powell's head on a, on a fucking platter and everybody wants the medical staff gone. I'm okay with changing the medical staff because, as I said, it's a results business. But we don't know what's going on with Jason Powell and all that and how much he has a hand in preventing injury. The fact of the matter is, why would Ty Lue be so distraught and unprepared about a player missing a game, or I'm sorry, missing a half, when the medical staff and he are on the same team? Why would the medical staff not have a plan traveling across the country for what's going to happen and all the players not know before the game? That hurts a coach's ability to game plan and get blindsided like that. Does that make sense? It's very fishy. It's Because they're on the same team. You'd have to be acting like the medical staff has no care in helping Ty Lue win basketball games to do that. It's really suspect. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm not going to go to the bank with it. But if that report is true, then everything all the haters say about Kawhi, the Stephen A's, everyone, all of it is true. And if it is, he can go fuck off as far as possible, and I don't want him near this team ever again.
He's a loser if he did that. I don't care how many rings he has. He's a loser. But I'm not going to take it to the bank, so I'm not going to call him that. Listen, I like Kawhi, but this is the problem with him. I don't know how much he actually cares. I think he loves playing, and I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for saying that. I think he likes playing basketball, but I think there's a big difference between loving playing basketball and then loving basketball entirely and everything that comes with it. I love watching basketball. I love coaching basketball. I love playing basketball. I love talking about basketball. I live and breathe basketball. You know, I never thought I'd love the game more than certain NBA players, but then I had a friend, you know, my good friend Will, um, he went to Oregon, and he played, and you can do the math if if you think about it. He played with some NBA players and collegiate players, and he said, none of them love the game like you do. None of them have the obsession that you do about the game. Kawhi Leonard said that he doesn't even watch film. He said, only when the coaches give me film. I thought he liked ba- I thought he loved basketball, but all I know about him now is that he smokes weed. Uh, he likes music, like trap and rap. He loves playing basketball, but he never addresses the fans. He rarely signs autographs. He rarely daps fans up. He doesn't show any pride in this organization. I don't know if he shows any pride in any organization. He's so quiet. We know nothing about him, and he's never available. And every single time he gets injured, we know shit about everybody else's injury. Everybody else we seem to know. Everybody else seems to play through a lot of pain. But when Kawhi Leonard, because of his degenerative knee, there's so much more mystery. We don't know how serious his injuries are. They hide it from us until we finally hear the bad news like we heard now with the torn meniscus. Prayers up to him. But I'm going to say this too to end. My friend Fabian always says it. But when you talk about building a team... Do you want to root for certain guys? Do you like rooting for them? And after four years, my answer is no. I think Kawhi Leonard is amazing on the court. He's the best player the Clippers have ever had. But four years in, I still go to games and still have trouble embracing this guy as a Clipper. Why? Simple reason. He doesn't play all the time. I haven't seen him play enough to feel that feeling. We've never seen him play in front of a sold-out Clipper playoff crowd. We were so close. We were one game away from seeing it. We've never seen Kawhi Leonard play in front of a sold-out Clipper crowd. But we saw Westbrook play in front of a sold-out Clipper crowd. Listen, man, I think Kawhi is great. I would make the move 10 times out of 10 because to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for picks and a guy that is a rising star, but you never could have expected him to average 31 points a game like he did. And, and you know, shout-out to SGA. He was amazing. And, of course, I wish we still had him, but I wouldn't change a thing. We broke the curse. I want people to realize that from a Clipper fan's perspective, we needed to get past the second round, and we did. So for that, I would never change a thing. But, if, but this era has been a failure, and I don't think there's any sign that this is going to work. Kawhi Leonard cannot last the full series. He can't play six straight games. You know, he was able to stay healthy doing load management. But I don't think you can win like this. And I, I, the poster boy for load management with a fan that hates load management more than anybody and a guy that's, you know, I'm a, you can see by this video, I'm a very emotional fan. I'm a very emotional guy. I, you know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and everything I do. Kawhi Leonard is the opposite. So a lot of it is just like your fandom. Like I don't resonate with the way he goes about things. And, you know, I know that he's been through a lot of real shit in his life. You know, he's shown a lot of resilience to come back from his injury, um, to want to be great. But I think he just he, he just wants to get paid. He, want, he, he already won a championship. He's already proven himself. He doesn't care about winning the Clippers their first ring like that. It's another ring for Kawhi Leonard. He doesn't care about the Clippers, the fans. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't ever address the fans. He, he downplays everything in regards to, like, the team's success goals and all that. He's like, no, I don't care about that. Remember they asked him, you know, this is, this, you have a chance to make it to the conference finals for the first time or whatnot. And he kept downplaying it. And I get it. He's a champion. He has bigger goals. 
But I like seeing players embrace this identity, embrace the losing history, and say, I want to change it. Paul George does that. Chris Paul did that. Blake Griffin did that. Patrick Beverly, Reggie Jackson, Montrezl Harrell, these guys bled red, white, and blue. I think Kawhi, he's not going to play through any... I mean, he tried to play through pain allegedly in Game 2, but in the regular season, he's never going to risk anything because what I think he cares about is when his contract expires in 2025 to get one more contract. For Stephen A. Smith, for him to say, you know, he should retire, I don't even think that's much of a hating-ass comment because if he really wants to play with his kids and not hurt his body, then just retire. You've already made your generational wealth. You're a top 75 player ever. You have rings. But you know what? When Kawhi gets hurt, when Paul George gets hurt, I understand they feel as bad as anybody. They're hurt. They can't play. They can't do their jobs. But they still get paid $50 million. Steve Ballmer still gets his bread. He still has his income coming. The only person and people that get screwed are the fans. Every fucking year. In the regular season, it's shit. You have to watch these guys load and manage only to hope for them to be healthy, only for them to get injured again. There's no fun in rooting for this team. It's absolute garbage. They have no future. They're old and slow. The coach and the front officer back and going back and forth, and the fans have to go at each other because who's being optimistic, who's pessimistic. The only people that get screwed every year are the fans, and you have a right to feel the way that you do. I do not like this. I don't want to do this anymore. Nobody's going to take Kawhi Leonard, but I want both of them gone. And that's the honest truth. I think that for everything that they've done, I've held this reservation for a while, but I don't want anything to do with them. I know we wouldn't get that great of a return. I mean, for Paul George, I think people would still get, you know, want to go after him. Why wouldn't a team like Cleveland or even New York want to go get a guy like Paul George? But I think we should get rid of both. Get what we can. We can't do this anymore. It's not about Kawhi and Paul. It's about Chris and Blake. It's about Derek Smith. It's about Sean Livingston. It's about Elton Brand. It's about Bill Walton. Marcus Johnson. We have always had injury-prone players. We need to invest a different way. We need to find players that have a history of staying healthy, and we found one. And that brings me to my final point. Russell Westbrook. I had my reservations, but I was so wrong. Yes, we didn't get to see him play in, you know, big stakes moments in terms of, like, the finals or the second uh, to last round where I thought, you know, that's where the fuck-ups could come. But Russell Westbrook showed everything that John Wall didn't. John Wall wanted to show everybody that he was still John Wall. Russell Westbrook just wanted to show everybody they can help win games. I want to thank the Clipper fans, the media, the team, and the coaching staff for the way that they treated Russ. Russ has always been one of my favorite players, and he was painted as a villain, as a vampire. All the nasty shit said about him across the hall. Look, there were many reasons to that. His price tag, his relationship with the players, and Vogel, and all that. But the fact of the matter is, he was blatantly mischaracterized. Russell Westbrook is a class act. He was so great to the local media, and I heard for many years that he's much better with local media than he is with the national media. He worked so hard in the playoffs. He completely brought it. He had four great games out of five. He is available. He roars. He's emotional. He wears his heart on his sleeve every single time he takes the court. I know how much he cares. He addresses the fans. He addressed them last night. That's a player that I want to root for. It's been a dream come true having Russ on my team. And even if it means we have him and a bunch of young players, I'm okay with it. Because at least I know he's going to try. At least I know he cares. And at least I know that I'm going to have fun rooting for that. So you know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You'd rather root for a 35 team 
35 win team as opposed to 50 for the vibes? Yes, I fucking would. Because this shit is not winning a championship. And if you fool yourself into believing that these guys are going to magically stay healthy next year, let's run it back and do it all over again, then you're fucking delusional. And if we do stay healthy, and this video ages as poorly as the last one did, where... Look, in 2021, Paul George did prove me wrong. He did make it out of the second round. We did break that curse. If these guys prove me wrong and they win the championship and stay healthy for a whole playoff run, I would be the happiest person in the world to be wrong. But this ain't fantasy land, my brother and sisters. This ain't fantasy land. This shit is cooked. And the better we move off these guys, the, the, um, the quicker we move, move off these guys, the better. And I know the biggest concern. We're moving into the Intuit Dome in two years and Bomber wants to have stars to headline the arena. Well, listen, man, what's the point of having stars if they're not going to play? I'd rather have anything else but this, anything, anything where we can actually get behind the team and, and have some optimism again about that they're going to fight for us, to play Terrence Mann more, to play Bones Highland more. I want Brandon Boston in the rotation next year. I want Diabate in the rotation next year. I want to see Jason Preston play a little bit. Let's move a different direction. I can't do this anymore, and I still will. I'm still going to be here year after year doing all these episodes trying hard and doing the best to build my name in this business. So that brings me to the end. To everybody who supported me this year, it was the hardest season I had to deal with. Between Dime Dropper and Locked On Clippers, I would stay up till like 5 a.m. some nights, you know, editing shit, and it took so much out of me. I had people personally attack me, come after my family, talk all bunch of shit. Only for me to be right in the end, and I'm really mad that I was. This season was cooked from the start. This team was insanely arrogant all season long, thinking that they fucking route, fuck around with the regular season. If your takeaway from this season, it was it was just bad health again, you know, it just sucks, then you are just as big a part of a problem, of the problem. You don't identify what's going on. You don't see that the process is terrible. You have you cannot cheat the game. You cannot cheat the game. We're too passionate as fans. We're the most loyal fan base in the league. And without Sterling, we deserve better. All these motherfucking dumbass idiots want to say, you would have never lasted with Sterling in the bad seasons. I was here, bitch! I was here! I was here with 19 wins, sitting with my back against the fucking 318 top row wall. I was here against, you know, when we won 23 games. When we blew 3-1 leads. I was here. The difference is I didn't expect anything. We had Sterling, so there was no hope. We now have an owner that cares, that is investing into a new stadium that we're paying our tax dollars for. And you want to tell people to not change their expectations? You think we should have Sterling expectations in the Balmer era? You're delusional because the team doesn't have those expectations. They expect to win championships, but they do not show it with their actions. And you need to start realizing that. But that doesn't change. I'm not here to police how you fan. But don't tell me shit because I pour my heart and soul into this. And you know what? I never boo players. And at a game, I'm always the loudest one in my section. When you come into my section and you're as loud as me, then maybe you can talk. When you're dedicating this much of your life into this, then you can talk. When you care as much as I do, then you can talk. Until then, shut the fuck up and stay in your lane. Shut up and cheer just like you want to. To the fans, my supporters, the best in the world, you back me from everything. I've put my name on the line and, and throw my neck out there, and I do not sugarcoat anything. I'm going to get so much heat for this video. I'm going to have people saying I'm a fake fan and all this, but I don't care because I know my fans know and my supporters know that I care. I'm just going to say, man, Clipper fans, you deserve so much better. 
to everybody that I interacted with at a game, to everybody that let me be myself. You know, just a couple of names, uh, Vlad, Ernie, Bryce, um, you know, I, I can go on and on, Spencer, uh, DL2, Kelly, all you people, Joey, every single person that allowed, Miriam, that allowed me to be myself, that gave me the platform and didn't shit on me. So much love, man. Like, you guys are the greatest. Um, it's not easy doing this every year, but... I love this fucking team so much. And the only reason I keep doing this is because I believe that one day we're going to win a championship and I'm never going to waver and I'm never going to shut up and I'm never going to do anything differently. I'm always going to be this guy. I just don't think it's going to be with this group of players and I'm okay with it because you know what? Chris Paul came and went. Blake Griffin came and went. And I see the way we treat them now. But you know who's constant? The fans. The owners change. The GM changes. But the fans are always there. The most loyal fans in the league. Clipper Nation, I love you. I thank you for the third season of Dime Dropper. It's taken everything out of me. And now, finally, I can be put to rest and be relieved that the nightmare is over. To another disappointment next year. Peace.